right, as I said in the intro today, we're going to be talking the title of this podcast. I say we, you and me, I'm the only one talking on the podcast, but I'd love for this to start conversations in your life, conversations um, with your doctors, your practitioners on ways you could improve your health. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the origin of the Empowerful Health podcast and where it came. First off, it started through practice. I've, I've practiced now for over 11 years. I'm an upper cervical chiropractor. I do a method called NUCA. Uh, I work closely with patients uh, in terms of neck stability, uh, chronic issues coming from the neck, acute issues coming from the neck, um, and a variety of things. But in my time in practice, I've, I've tried to step back and take a holistic view of patients. I don't treat every condition. I don't treat every problem. But I recognize that whenever I am working with a patient, they can have more than one problem going on. They can have more than one symptom. They can also have more than one need for a practitioner. You know, they may need me, they may need physical therapists, naturopaths, medical doctors, surgeons, they may need all kinds of variety of things. And the more I can look at the whole picture and help piece all that together, the more I can give them tools to feel empowered. And I I remember practicing early on, I worked in an insurance-based practice, and I would come into the office and patients weren't getting better. And I said, well, you know, let's look at some other ideas. Let's, let's incorporate some exercise. Your back's giving you issues. You don't feel like you can move. Let's do a little core strength. Let's do this, you know, three core exercises. And then I would come back the next week and they'd, I'd say, Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm in pain. I said, well, how'd those exercises go? Oh, well, I didn't do them. And then it was a really easy way not to like shut the conversation down, but it was helped me to realize in some ways that did they really want a solution? Did they really want to get better? You know, if we really want to get better, we're going to do what we need to. And then as times progressed, and then a couple of years ago as COVID hit, I had a few patients come in the office. Uh, I had lots of patients come in the office with different thoughts and opinions on COVID, and that's not the point of today's podcast. Uh, but I was really surprised when a few people came in and said, I, if I get COVID, I'm going to die. And they were 100% certain of that, that if they got sick with COVID, they would die from it. And while, you know, I don't negate that there were people that died of COVID, that conviction that there was nothing they could do to improve their situation was really frustrating for them. But it was also very frustrating for me as a doctor because I didn't believe that to be true. I knew there were other things that they could do in, uh, in terms of protecting themselves, in terms of, you know, strengthening the body, strengthening the support, having things on hand in case they did get sick, you know, with COVID or with something else, you know. And so the idea for an Empowerful Health podcast kind of came out of that conversation of how can I teach people more about how how their body functions, what happens when diseases occur, and what they can do about it, you know? And there's certain things, you know, lifelong chronic issues that may not be able to be resolved completely, but there are definitely ways that we can improve our situations in any situation. We can always improve our quality of life. We can always improve how we're functioning uh, and our ability to fight off disease processes, infections, and otherwise. So that's where the Empowerful Health started, and it's taken on a variety of different things. We're several episodes in now. Um, recorded at least. I'm not sure which where this is going to air in air, not error, air. <laughs> or I'm not sure where it's going to air in the series. However, um, as I'm doing these interviews, I'm realizing and throughout practice, I'm realizing that a big portion of where we end up in our health is what goes on inside our head, what we're thinking. You know, the more convinced we are that we're going to get better, 
the more likely we are. And there's some say that's the placebo effect. Um, and I, I can see that to a point, but it's also a determination. You know, if we're determined to get better, we're going to do whatever it takes to get better. And I, I've had a, a variety of stories I'm going to tell you today. The first one, I had a lady come see me a few years ago. She uh, she was struggling with an opioid addiction. She would hurt her back at one point and she was given opioids and it became a problem. So she actually was working with a, a what do they call that? Like a counseling group that was specifically about opioids addictions. And they were helping her through this addiction recovery. And the challenge was, is that she needed the opioids for a reason. She had a back issue. And so the counselor referred her to myself, a physical therapist, and she was doing a variety of things to help with the pain. And she was getting better. She was doing the work, making the progress to improve. And so I had a conversation with her one day and she was frustrated, you know, even though she was getting better, she was frustrated that it was taking so much work. And she said, this keeps happening. You know, I, I had my initial injury. I had pain for a long time. I got into the medicine and then to get better, I had to see all these chiropractors and physical therapists. And it seems like this cycle happens. I get better for a little while, a year or so, six months. And then the cycle comes back and the pain comes back and I, I go have to go through the whole process again. And I said, well, I just have one question on that. I said, when you get better, you know, when you go through all this process, you see the physical therapists, chiropractors, addiction recovery programs, and you're feeling better, what happens when you start feeling better? Do you keep up? Do you know, you, do you go for maintenance to the chiropractor? Do you still do the exercises? Do you still do the core strength? All of that sort of stuff. And uh, it was a very funny experience as a doctor. She just glared at me. She didn't answer. She didn't say yes or no, uh, but her glare kind of told me that no, you know, she didn't keep this up. She didn't press the question. She didn't ask any more questions. She, uh, it was very apparent that no, she didn't continue these things after, you know, and even like a monthly visit to a chiropractor or every six weeks or something to maintain that. Or, and more importantly, what could she do at home? Is she, was she doing daily core strength? Was she doing the exercises that she had learned in physical therapy, exercises she'd learned on her own to improve that? And that was a, a good example or a bad example, if you will, of not empowered. She wasn't taking control of the situation and she kept hitting that cycle and coming back to the same spot. Uh, another great example is one of my favorite patient stories to tell. I had a, a gentleman come see me, 80-year-old man. Uh, he'd grown up on a farm, worked on a farm as an adult all through his life. Uh, not sure at what point he retired, but at the point I saw him, he was an 80-year-old snowbird. I practice in Arizona. I see a lot of snowbirds. He was living down here. One of his neighbors um, knew him, knew he had chronic back pain at this point. He had it for years, and here in his 80s, he, uh, he couldn't do a lot. He would sit in a chair most of the day if he tried to get up and work, do things, help in the kitchen, any of that sort of stuff, cook dinner. It hurt worse, and so he he just didn't do much. So he came in to see me, and one of the first things out of his mouth was, I'm too old. You can't help me. And I said, well, you know, you're never too old. You know, we are, there's always potential. I can't make you 21 again. I don't have like a magic wand in the back room. Uh, but if we can reduce misalignment of the spine, increase some functionality, decrease some inflammation, you can likely see some changes in this. I said, it won't be quick. You know, you've been having this issue for a long time. It's going to take a little bit of work, but it we can make progress, you know? And we talked back and forth and he's like, fine, let's try, let's try. So we we took some x-rays on him, adjusted him and sent him out. And he lived a little ways from here. So I didn't see him for about two weeks. And he comes back in at two weeks and he says, I told you I'm too old. 
this isn't going to work. I'm still in pain. I said, well, I, I told you you'd still be in pain. I, I, I also instruct people early on, like pay close attention, see if there's any kind of difference. We want to know that we're moving the right direction. You know, if you've had 40 years worth of pain, it's not going to go over away overnight. So we need to pay attention and see what direction it's moving. And he's like, nope, nope. I'm still in pain. It still hurts. I, I'm too old. And so I checked his alignment, you know, and then took him up front and he basically was like, I'm not coming back. This isn't helping. Well, his wife was sitting on the couch in my front living room, or it's not living room, you know, a lobby of the office. We designed it to look like a living room because we want patients to feel comfortable, feel like they're at home here. Um, So we have these nice couches, his wife sitting over there with a friend of theirs that had carpooled in with them, you know, from out of town. And the friend tells me later, she said, yeah, the wife was telling me, well, yeah, he's still been in pain this week, but there was a difference. He was actually able to get up. He came up in the kitchen a couple times, helped cook dinner, helped do dishes. He was more functional. He was moving around and doing things. But because he was so convinced in his mind that he was too old and that there was no potential, he didn't feel very empowered that it could make a difference. And he didn't. He couldn't see that. It was really interesting. And it's always been fascinating to me. And we all do it. There's blind spots in my own life, but there's a lot of areas in people's lives where they're just not paying attention to their health. And the less they pay attention, the more they don't feel like they have control. And it's also not just not paying attention. Sometimes we're giving too much focus to a problem, um, too much focus to the issue and not to everything else in the situation. And, and that's not like a, not to say, hey, ignore problems. They'll go away on their own. But if we're overly focused on it, it t- can at times grow or it can at times seem to consume our entire lives. Another great example of this is I had a patient who was having some, it was a weekend, he had a flare up of some of his symptoms and he was feeling really bad, like um, some dizziness, balance, vertigo, not vertigo, but just he felt like he was going to pass out, uh, all due to some stimulation in his neck. And so I was out of the office, I was out doing stuff with family, and I I checked my phone, and I had a couple of messages from him. So I I read through them, I called him back, and it turns out he was in the, the, like, parking lot of an ER at this point. He had been so stressed by it. You know, as soon as he started feeling that, he just started stressing about it, like thinking something terrible was wrong. And I said, you know, there could be, you know, like, let's not just like rush away from the emergency room. But I said, let's just sit for a minute, you know, see how you're doing. And he'd been sitting already for a few minutes. And then he's like, actually, I do feel a little bit like it's calming down. So we'll sit in the parking lot for 20 or 30 minutes, see how it feels, see how the body does. And as he it drew his attention away from it, focused on something else and just let the system kind of calm down, things improved. He felt comfortable going home. I, I you know, I told him, I said, be, pay close attention and kind of flare up anything like that. You know, maybe you need to go back to the ER, but try to your best to relax, try to get some rest, see how things settle down. And it settled down great. His things improved, but we do that sometimes, you know, we, we have a situation or we feel some kind of symptom and then we panic about it. And when we panic about it, that puts us into stressed mode and stressed mode seems to not seem stress mode can break loose other issues. Excellent example of this is one I share all the time with patients, and that is shaving. I I hate shaving. I I do because I don't really like having facial hair because it itches. But I'm not a. I just don't love shaving, and so. particularly back in high school. I wasn't great at it. I have very sensitive skin, very easily cut. And so I was shaving one day and I got a little nick on my skin and I got upset about it. You know, hormonal teenager, I kind of threw a little teenager fits. I have teenagers, I've seen teenager fits and I kind of like got angry and I tightened up all my jaw and just 
got upset about it, you know, because it hurt one and two, I was self-conscious. I didn't want someone like having to walk around with a little piece of toilet paper stuck to my face at school for the first hour or something. And so I got all mad about it. And when I did that and my jaw tightened up like that, I started bleeding in about four or five other places because what had happened is I'd already shaved those places and that skin was extra thin. I just run a tri-blade razor over it and I weakened the skin. So the stress came in and the stress broke the skin along its weakest points, which is how stress can a lot of times affect our health. It can create problems, health problems, but more often it breaks loose our weakest areas and makes an underlying and asymptomatic problem worse, you know, which is what happens with a lot of like, COVID's a good example of this. You know, the idea that if I get COVID, this is scary, creates stress, creates panic, stress and panic take you out of healing and don't allow your body to fight the infections properly. So in some ways it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like, oh no, I, I got sick with something. This is the worst thing ever. We freak out and then our body gets worse. And so being able to take a step back and realize that what we think about what happens to us can make an impact. And this isn't to say, you know, like just relax and don't seek treatments for anything. Now, obviously, if you're having health issues, seek doctors, seek treatments, that sort of stuff. But understand the way we view it changes. Another good example of this is uh, like fertility clinics. Like fertility is a rising issue, has been for a couple of decades now. A lot of couples, a lot of families struggle with this. And there's, there's some evidence of this and there's some cases of this where people go to the fertility clinics, you know, they see their regular doctor, a woman might see it OBGYN, this sort of thing. And it's, they say, well, go see a fertility specialist and they make the appointment for the fertility specialist. And I've had, I've heard of even clinics that say, oh, you know, you never know, you might get pregnant even before we do stuff because people will make the appointment with a specialist. They relax a little bit. They're like, okay, this place is going to help me. They're going to tell us what's going on and we're going to figure it out. And there are some uh, people that get pregnant, some couples that are able to get pregnant just by being in, quote, the right place. Their stress levels decrease. This happened to one of my best friends. Him and his wife had tried for several years, finally got to the fertility clinic. They did testing, no treatments. And even before they got like the results of the test, they found that they were pregnant because they'd relaxed enough. They'd been, you know, stressing about it for a couple of years and that actually happened. So those are all some good examples of how that stress can affect our overall health and taking charge of that stress uh, can help help and improve health conditions and overall just health and well-being. So that's part of where like almost every episode so far I've recorded and I'm going to I see that trend continuing in the future has some element of that mental capacity. Hence the empowerful health word is that it starts with how we view it. It starts with us feeling like there could be options, could be help out there. And there's a couple other topics we're going to talk about with this. One is what I call doctor fatigue. I have a lot of patients that have been there, done that. They've tried so many different things. I've had patients tell me I was the 23rd doctor they'd seen. I've had some that just say, I'm so tired of spending time, energy, and money on this and not finding any answers. And they'll go see someone and they're convinced that it'll help them. And it doesn't, you know, like the doctor's like, oh yeah, I help this all the time. This will be fine. And then they do treatment and it doesn't work, you know? And so that is a real thing. I've had several people come in the office and they're so, they're not skeptical of like my approach. They're not skeptical of things I'm referring them to. They're just 
kind of tired, that fatigue feeling, tired of trying new things, tired of looking um, for answers. And the key in situations like that, honestly, is outside the box, you know, different types of methods. A lot of times people get second and third opinions, and those are great, but if you get second and third opinions from doctors that all do the same thing, you're going to get slight variations on the same thing. So sometimes stepping out of the box, doing a consult with a very different type of doctor, you know, maybe a more holistic doctor, a naturopathic doctor, chiropractors, physical therapists, just someone completely different with a different approach can make a bigger impact because they're looking at the problem with a new set of eyes and from a very different perspective. And then the last thing I want to talk about today is words and verbiage that we use. I've given this talk before in meeting settings and in the community, and I really like to hit these points. And it's a couple of phrases. I can, I can't, I will, let's say I can, I can't, I am, and I'm not are the three, the four phrases. I I caution people and I caution myself. I try to practice this myself. We have to be careful what we end those sentences with and how we finish them, you know, because there's a lot of like temporary things that we put in those and we start to think of them as permanent. A good example of this is like mental emotional health. A lot of people say, oh, I'm an anxious person or I have anxiety or I am mentally ill, these types of stuff, like the, that phrasing where we kind of own it, it becomes a little bit of who we are. Um, it can be it can be helpful in certain cases, but in a lot of times it's not helpful to think of it that way. I try to encourage my patients, you know, I'm not a mental, mental emotional health practitioner, but again, I see a lot of it in the office. I try to make referrals, connect with resources, and just share little tidbits of different ways of thinking about it. But I try to encourage people, like especially people that struggle with anxiety, instead of saying, I'm an anxious person or I have anxiety, I experience anxiety is a different way of looking at it. Because there's people, I, I know lots of people that have struggled with anxiety. It's the number one most diagnosed uh, mental health condition in the United States. And it can, it's it's very common is what I'm saying. And I've seen a lot of people with it that they latch onto it, but it's not permanent. I'm, I shouldn't say permanent, it's not the right word. It's not all the time. You know, there are some people that struggle with it all the time, but even people that I've seen in very severe, I, I had a guy come into church one time uh, and could hardly walk down the hall. There were other people there. He didn't know them. He was having trouble breathing. He was in kind of a full-blown anxiety, panic mode, uh, anxiety attack type thing. And so I, I went up to him so I would see what I could help him. And he was looking for some help and assistance as him and his family were struggling in some way and needed some help, you know, and they went to the, a local church to try to ask for that. And so uh, we talked to him. I got his contact info. I said, yeah, we, we likely can. I, I didn't say, you know, I connected him with the right people who control that. And they're like, yeah, we could probably help you with some stuff. Um, and then I went over to visit him at his home. And it was really fascinating. As I walked into his home, his own situation, he had more control. He was a very different person. Not a different person, but a, a different side of him came out. He wasn't as panicky. He was a lot calmer. We had, you know, a regular conversation. He was more comfortable there. And I share that to show that, like, he isn't anxiety. He doesn't have anxiety. He's not an anxious person, but he does experience that and it's temporary as it hits. And so they can have, you know, we can have episodes of that where we experience that anxiety and changing that to not be like part of our identity and not accept it as such um, can help give us a little bit more empowerment 
and control over the situation, potential to change the situation, potential to view ourselves in a more positive light and a more hopeful light. Um, the other phrases like I talked about, I, I can and I can't. So often I hear people say like, oh, I can't afford that. Or I, I can't, what's another good example of this? Mine's going blank for a second, but, or I'm, I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not a salesperson. You know, I, I go out to business events, networking events, and, oh, I'm just not a salesman. Oh, I'm not a good public speaker. People tell themselves these things all over, over the, over and over again. And it's like, well, the more you say that it's never, it's always going to be true, right? If you always say that you're not a good public speaker, you're not a salesman, or you can't afford that, um, you're going to be stuck in that same situation. And it's not that, you know, like we need to lie to ourselves and buy stuff we can't afford or try stuff that we haven't practiced or don't have skills at. And particularly with like, I can't afford my wife and I caught ourselves doing this up to a few years ago and we shifted it. It's like people buy stuff they can't afford all the time. That was the realization I had. People buy stuff they can't afford all the time. I mean, look at our amount of consumer debt. Look at our, you know, United States nationwide, uh, not nationwide, but government debt. How many trillions of dollars are we in debt to other countries? And then the consumer debt, credit cards, uh, car payments, homes, all this sorts of stuff. There's so much money that's borrowed and so many times people are buying stuff they can't afford. Another great example, walk out and see the checks cashed today, those types of things, uh, payday loans, all that sort of stuff. So changing that mindset to, from I can't afford to, to I'm not going to spend my money on that, or I'm going to put money in this direction, or I'd rather do this than that. And kind of taking that empowerment and making a more conscious decision versus giving it some sort of outside blame like, oh, I'm, I am poor, therefore I can't afford to do that. It's kind of putting the blame outside. Um, and there's, again, it's not, again, not saying like buy stuff you can't afford, but it helps retain power even in a situation we may not feel like we have control over. And then on that other topic, like I'm not a good public speaker, I'm not a salesperson. Again, the more we say that, the more we believe it. And things like sales is really just about communication. And if I, I talked to a couple of salespeople, I talked to a lady yesterday actually about uh, sales training and she does a lot of sales training at her job and she's actually considering starting a company to train other salespeople in sales training, like do online modules, one-to-one -one coaching, that sort of stuff. And she's like, it's, it's really just about communication. It's really just about sitting down with someone, figuring out what their needs are, what problems they need solved, and then explaining to them, well, this is what I can do or this is what I can't do, you know, and pointing them in the right direction. And between that conversation with her and I spoke to someone else the same day who does coaching um, and counseling, his wife does like trauma rescue or trauma processing. She's a counselor, therapist, helps with trauma, and then he does coaching. So once they're out of stress mode, out of panic mode and ready to build a new life, then they can work with him. So it's really a cool combination, but it was telling me, he was telling me that when they first started their business, they... You know, you start a business from scratch and you need income. You need stuff. You you have all these expenses as a business owner, as your personal life. And it's like, oh, I, I need more clients. I need more people to come see me. And he, it, the shift came when instead of thinking of it as that, he focused back on the clients and said, no, I don't need. And I, this is my phrasing. I said, I don't need new patients. New patients need me. People need our help. People need our assistance. People need our products. You know, and this is in healthcare, mental, emotional counseling, coaching, all that sort of stuff. But it applies to like, I don't know, stereos or air condition, 
excuse me, air conditioners or plumbing problems, they need our help. And so if we can sit down in that type of situation, in that viewpoint and say, hey, they need me, what can I do to show them that I can help them? And again, it may not be, it's not about sales. So, and that's a whole side tangent there. But to say that being careful about what we say on the I am and I'm not helps us feel more empowered, helps us to feel more in control. So like, going, tying this all together in powerful health is about encouraging us to take charge, to kind of put people in the driver's seat of their own health, feel like they have control. They can take time to learn. They can ask questions of doctors, practitioners, therapists. They can change doctors, practitioners, and therapists as needed to find someone that's willing to listen to them, to work with them, and to give them tools to help them improve their situation, overcome challenges, and achieve great things. And some of the most driven people I've ever seen are the ones that just don't, they don't accept too many truths. They try a lot of different things. They keep working, they keep trying, and they're willing to put in the effort. If a doctor says, do this twice a day, they do it twice a day. They try the the their hand at being in control, and they realize ultimately it's up to them to take charge of their health and to find the right resources. I tell people all the time as a chiropractor, I'm not here to fix your health. I'm here to be a tool you use to get where you want to go. So that's the vision, the goal behind the Empowerful Health Podcast. I appreciate anyone who's following along, anyone who's listening to the episodes. Hope you find great value in it uh, and hope that this will make a difference in your journey to achieving optimal or your best health and wellness. So thanks for tuning in again. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Empowerful Health Podcast.